Thank you so much for joining me for this very first official episode of the Shorsha Speaks With uh, podcast. And my name is Shorsha Dunbar. And my very first guest is Hollywood and theatre actor Rolf Saxon. Rolf spoke to me about his time on Mission Impossible, Saving Private Ryan, what it was like working with Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, Steven Spielberg, Brian De Palma. And he also spoke to me about some of the theatre productions he worked on. So without further ado, here is my interview with Rolf. So please enjoy. I am joined on this very first episode by actor Rolf Saxon. Uh, But first of all, how are you, Rolf? Thank you so much for joining me. Very well, man. Very well indeed. How about yourself? I'm doing very well, thank you. Um, So we spoke before uh, a few months ago. So if anybody's listening to this and they're fans of Broken Sword video game series, we did speak about that for over an hour. So I will include the link in the show notes and below the video as well. So if anybody's interested to hear more about that. But we're here to speak more about your acting career because you are a proper actor as well. You've done more than Broken Sword. You have uh, yeah, yeah, yes. A little bit. And uh, so we're going to talk now. We don't... I, I could speak to you for hours, but we don't have hours, unfortunately. And I know you're, you're busy as well. But uh, you've appeared in some movies and some theater. And uh, so I just thought I'd just check, you know, just ask you some, you know, if I just check with you about a little bit of your career. Probably one of the best known films that you have been part of is Mission Impossible, the very first one. Um, I think uh, people have, might have heard of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I vaguely remember that one. Yeah, yeah you vaguely kind of, yeah. But I believe there's an Antonio Cruz or someone. In, yeah, yeah. What happened uh, to that guy? Yeah, well, who knows? You know, it's a tough business. It's a tough business. Right, yeah. Not everyone can be successful, I guess. Exactly, exactly. I mean, you know, he was good. He was good. He's fine, but... Um, but yeah, so you appeared in probably the most famous scene in the Mission Impossible franchise. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, man. I don't know about that. Well, at least for the first few, or one of the most spoofed anyway. <laughs> yes, certainly one of the most spoofed, yes. Um, so first of all, as one, if you could, for people who might not have seen it, or five people listening who haven't seen it, or people just to... Recap our memories. I wonder if you could walk us through that scene a little bit. You know what happens in that scene. What's your role in it? Uh, basically, uh, I'm a body at Langley. Uh, I, I'm I'm just some guy who works there, uh, and I get sort of trapped uh, by the script uh, in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, and uh, Emmanuel Bayer put something in my coffee, uh, I get sick, and I spend most of the scene throwing up, uh, most of which you don't see, but I mean, there, there I am. Uh, and then I come back and kind of go, gosh, something's wrong, there's a knife in my desk. Uh, that's pretty much, <laughs> that's pretty much it. Yes, because while you're out getting sick, uh, Tom Cruise is coming down from the ceiling yeah, uh, on the rope on his back, and it's—I believe, from what I remember—if he touches the ground, then the whole the all the alarms go off. Yeah, and he'll be—he'll be cut down. Because w- one of the interesting things about that scene is, even though we're, we're rooting for Tom Cruise's character, Ethan Hunt, as a hero, you're not a villain. You're not. No, the, no. You're not a bad guy. <laughs> no, no. I'm just sort of some poor schmuck that gets stuck. Yeah. So we can, We feel. At least I felt sorry for you. I was like, oh, this is. 
that's not very nice of you know Tom Cruise and Emmanuel <laughs> Bayer to to make your character sick like that. <laughs> yeah, it was her really. He he he, you know, he 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 was against the whole thing. Tom, <laughs> yeah, he's a nice guy. Yeah, well, it it was you know it's a fantastic scene. It's been uh, you know it's been spoofed as we mentioned on on Shrek, even on an Irish sitcom, Father Ted. That scene has been. I remember Father Ted. I like that. I like that. You saw that, yes, with the priest behind. Uh, no, I, that I, I didn't see that particular episode, but I used to. I I, I watched Father Ted. Uh, it was a it was a great shame when he passed. That that yeah. was that was really yeah. too bad. Uh, no, ab- absolutely no. It was it was on the Christmas special, and I saw the Christmas special before I saw the movie, but I, I still knew <laughs> the scene. And it, interestingly, as well in that scene, it's both very comic and suspenseful. So you're kind of you know. Uh, on the edge of your seat thinking what's going to happen you know with tom cruise when he gets close to well ethan hunt we can call him when he gets yeah. close to the ground and but then it's also kind of comic you know the way as i said we don't see you throwing up but we see you coming out of the bathroom you think you're okay and then just with your facial reaction you go oh here it goes again and i think we've all been there yeah <laughs> so, it was completely from my imagination I, I i have no real that's never really happened to me Right. <laughs> but what, was this scene always supposed to be comic and suspenseful? Or how did that, did you have any involvement in uh, it came about? It was something of a doer set. Uh, M- M- Brian De Palma is not uh, a cheerful man. <laughs> uh, he's a genius director, but he's not a real people person. So it was kind of... A little, a little doer, shall we say, a little bit, little, little bit, a uh, little bit serious, um, and I'm kind of a clown. So we were just—I was messing around one day, um, and I got a tap on the shoulder from the first assistant, uh, a guy who who now we we, we became friends, uh, and he said, "Listen, uh, uh, Brian wants to have a quick word with you," and he didn't look. Uh, he didn't look positive about it so I thought oh geez and in fact someone had unfortunately just been sacked uh, the day before by Brian De Palma Um, so so that's one of the like uh, we need to talk moments or I want to come in my office that that was more like you need to come to my office moment Uh, I, I mean and that was like I mean he's like this really powerful Hollywood director and I'm not (laughs) <laughs> and uh, it was sort of like, you know, time. So I come up and he said, you know, you were messing around there. Like I said, I'm really sorry, Mr. De Palma. I didn't think it was uh, disturbing anybody. I just, he said, no, 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 no. It was really funny. Can you do that again? And I, and I said, uh, I beg your pardon? And he said, no, it was funny. People were laughing. He had not a smile on his face, not a twinkle in his eye, nothing. It was like deadpan. So I still thought, you know, he's like, you know, am, I, am I in trouble here? And he said, no, all the people around me just were laughing. They thought it was really funny. I just wondered if you could, you know, do it again. I said, yeah, sure. He said, okay, fine. Tomorrow morning we'll, we'll uh, adjust the, the, the schedule so that we'll do that tomorrow morning. Thanks. Uh, goodbye. And so <laughs> that was it. And he started working on something. I turned around and walked away. And then uh, the next morning we spent about four hours improvising and playing around and doing that stuff. And uh, that's what happened. That's what happened. No, but that, that's great. So you thought that maybe you were going to be sacked or fired, and then he ended up... I did. <laughs> I, I, I swear to God, that, that is honestly what I thought. I thought I was about to get fired for the first time in my career. Uh, and 
uh, he, he had that sort of reputation that he, he, he would do something like that. But, but it was... Wow, no, but that's great. Not only did he survive, but he wanted you to have a hand in, you know, the scene. In, in yeah, 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 actually, uh, yeah, it's true. And, and uh, you know, I say it was doer. I say it was kind of a, it, it was, I won't say it's unhappy, but it was very serious. Right. And, uh, and, and I'd been told, you know, about Tom Cruise that you, you have to be really careful. He can be very, you know, pernickety and he, he can also be kind of, you know, a bit of a jerk. And I thought, wow, this is, you know, because De Palma had a similar reputation. Um, and I'm very happy to say, in, in Tom Cruise's case, one of the nicest guys I've ever worked with. Oh, that, he cool. actually, he, he, was, he was just such a nice man. Very supportive of everybody on the set and all that. It just, one of those, one of those good guy stories. Yeah. That, that's great to hear because I know yeah. there's been a lot written about Tom Cruise, which we don't mm -hmm. go into. That could be a whole other... I take things like that at a CM, and uh, when when I was on on set, he was uh, a complete professional, uh, and a lot of, actually a lot of fun. So I mean, yeah, I got I got no issue with that at all. That's great because the impression that we get, I know that it's uh, different when people do interviews that they're usually you know very a lot of times they're very professional or just serious, and it's not how they really are. And mm -hmm. of course, we shouldn't believe everything that's written about people. No, um, but no. especially not 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 actors and actresses and directors. Exactly. No. And so it was Tom Cruise, and I know you mentioned he's a lot of fun, but the impression that I get of him, I mean, I've never met him, but uh, the impression that I get is uh, that he can be intense. Um, oh, certainly. When it, when it comes to yeah. working, when it comes to working, I mean, he was also a producer on that. Right. He's one of the producers of the film. There's a lot of writing on it. So. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And he's not messing about. He, you know, if, if the only time I ever saw him get anywhere near sort of uh, upset, which he wasn't, he just was like, come on, what's going on? You know, what's happening? Is on a third or fourth take, there was uh, of the same scene, there was a series of technical issues. And he was a little exasperated and said, you know, Come on! I mean, this is this is with him going up and down on this thing, which he has a stuntman. He had a stuntman for it, but um, uh, that was only used uh, if if uh, uh, he wasn't going to be seen at all, and that that was an insurance thing. Otherwise, he was in that harness all the time, mm. going up and down for the whole day, uh, and you know he was getting a little exasperated having to do this fairly strenuous thing and uh he's like 15 20 feet up in the air and a light blows or or the sound was not rule working properly or there's something wrong with the camera hair in the gate all that and it was like come on guys and he was up on the thing and he kind of went oh, come on guys. so it was actually kind of funny as well but yeah anyway, that's the only time i ever saw him get a little a little stressed which I guess is normal. You know? <laughs> uh, but, I think uh, I would have expressed it a little bit more. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's, it's funny because Tom Cruise, at least from what we know, he is a stunt guy now that he does some absolutely crazy things, in particular yeah. the later Mission Impossible movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, did you watch uh, yourself in films and TV series? Because I know some actors don't. I like watching themselves. Uh, sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't. I, it took me years to watch Mission Impossible. Just I was doing other things, and and it, you know I thought, oh, I'll see that. And I was actually uh, I, I was I was working when the premiere. I had uh, tickets for the premiere, uh, and I, I couldn't go. Uh, so that was unfortunate. Um, yeah, Leicester Square, uh, which was this big sort of 
deal. But my my uh, I sent my son and my wife to go, and my son has his still has his little uh, ID badge from when, and he sort of took a pose like he was a, uh, like a spy, uh, and and he's I'd just seen it not not long ago, uh, uh, a couple of days ago. Nice. So that yeah, that's kind of cool. And have you been asked to come back by Christopher McQuarrie? Because they're making two more at time recording. <laughs> no, no, those bastards. No, they haven't asked me back. I, I don't know why. I think, I think you know, maybe Tom's a little bit jealous of me. You know, my, yeah, my you kids could, on screen, yeah. I mean, you could get your revenge on Tom Cruise for making you sick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that would be the day. Yeah, right. Well, um, well, I mean, uh, you've also appeared in other movies uh, because I could spend again just talking about Mission Impossible, but you have appeared in other films, and one of my favorite films as well you've appeared on is Saving Private Ryan. And um, oh, yeah, yeah. So, now I don't know what it's like to, to work on. I'm sure you know. I'll ask you now, but fun fact as well, uh, because you filmed that scene in Omaha. It's supposed to be in Omaha, in my town, in Wexford, in Ireland. I believe the people there that you met they were lovely. I'm sure, right? They were amazing people there. Right? Actually, yeah, yes, yes. I'm sure, us Wexford people, we. You guys are incredibly generous and hospitable. Yes, especially in the yeah. pub. That was a lot I'm of fun. Sure, oh, I'm sure, especially in the pub, especially when we have a few drinks in us. So I've heard, of course. <laughs> Absolutely, I'm sure you. You know, you'd never go there. None of you actors or no. Um, <laughs> go back to your trailer or your hotel. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but no, it, it's still you know still our claim to fame. The Saving Private Ryan was at least the, the beat scene was filmed in uh, in Wexford, and I believe that uh, one of the reasons that Steven Spielberg decided to film there was because he wanted uh, a beach. I believe he didn't want. Um, there be any houses so to know when right and also he wanted a place which would have similar weather so naturally ireland in <laughs> summer <laughs> um but watching that scene in particular a very long scene it's very very impressive and it certainly seems very realistic um what was it like filming was it like that or was it like a movie set was there a lot of cgi or was there a lot no. of practical effects I mean, I, 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 can't, I can't say for sure what the end result was. I'm not a technical guy. Right. But, um, no, we were, we were out on those beaches for the better part of three weeks. Um, and uh, two, two weeks. Two weeks, three weeks. I can't remember. <laughs> uh, but, no, filming. Uh, and, and, and those of us who were going to spend a lot of time out there, uh, we had wetsuits on underneath the uniforms because it, it's cold. And <laughs> those were real landing craft. And they're made of steel. And so when they get water at the bottom of them, which they all do, um, it's, it's after an hour, let alone four hours, it's ice water. And, and uh, there were a bunch of Irish army off uh, one of the bases that is nearby. And they were all put in American uniforms. And those poor buggers didn't get the wetsuits. <laughs> and uh, that, I mean, we all felt really sorry for them because they were sitting up. You know, they were they were sitting in the in the in the, uh, in, in the landing craft for hours doing background. And then when they hit the beaches again, you know, we had uh, the the wetsuit boots all the way up, you know, to uh, short sleeve uh, wetsuits to our necks. And that was it was chilly. And I swim in the in the oceans. We talked about it a little bit. Uh, uh, the last time, uh, and and uh, I couldn't have done it without the wetsuits. I don't know how some of those guys did that. That was extraordinary. That was extraordinary. 
yeah, you think the army might have wetsuits, you know, maybe, <laughs> but uh, apparently not for for six hundred extras or whatever it was, whatever they used in the end. I mean, it was it was there were a lot of guys there. There were a lot of guys there. Well, yeah, it's probably the closest that they've probably been to war because the Irish army. Well, we do have peacekeeping. Uh, I do, I sure, do, sure. Yeah, no, so I mean, that was, places, but yeah, yeah. Um, and interestingly enough, as well, I think we also I spoke to you about the the um, when when um, the costume or rather the makeup woman uh, who had won an Academy Award for makeup in Braveheart uh, uh, was the makeup woman on this shoot. Uh, really nice lady, uh, and her father had been on Juno or Sword. I don't remember which one of the British landings during D-Day, uh, but he'd been involved with the, one of them. He'd been one of the troops off-boarded and, and put on. And and um, when Spielberg had asked any of the cast and crew if they had relatives who had been involved, and she put her hand up and said, yes, my father. And he said, look, I want to speak to him. Please arrange to have him. So they flew him from somewhere in... Buckinghamshire or Oxfordshire, something like that, uh, over to, to Wexford. And uh, it was picked up in a limousine and brought to the beaches where we were filming. He walked, he apparently stood out of the limousine, walked up to the beach where he could see dozens of craft and ships and support vehicles and literally hundreds of men uh, on the beach. Uh, in army uniform and he apparently took one look at that turned on his heel and went back to the limousine and said fly me home um, and they said you know Mr. Spielberg wants to speak to you he said I'm not I'm not going to stay they took him to the hotel and Spielberg uh, canceled the the morning's filming and interviewed this man for most of the morning just spoke to him and as a result of that that first scene which you think is so amazing and I agree um, was filmed the way it was filmed. It was going to be a very brief, a very brief sort of overall shot, maybe a couple of close-ups, and then go into the movie. Um, and it, in fact, turned out to be one of, if not the best, ever filmed sequences of, of a sequence of the D-Day landings. I, it was being a part of it was hard. I mean, nothing like what the the men went through. I mean, I don't mean that, but as an actor, you know, being cold and you know tossed around in those bloody boats. But there were there were a lot of things that he told Spielberg that she related to me that that were actually incorporated in the film. Um, for example, uh, when the landings actually began, uh, they had been shelling the beachhead for I think two days. 48 hours, incessant, constant shelling. Uh, and when they were put in the landing craft and they were sent out, the shelling continued until the boats hit a certain point in the water when it became potentially dangerous for the boats if, if a shell fell short or something like that. So they stopped. And her father relayed that it was suddenly silence and he completely understood the term deafening silence because they could hear nothing. They'd heard this rumble and the explosions and the, I mean, when battleships fire guns, they're very loud, I've heard that. Um, and for 48 hours, that's all they'd heard, nonstop. So as their hearing started, and the reason they were shelling was to take out the machine gun nests that were uh, entrenched all along the, 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 
the beachfront, the beachhead. And um, he said, as this hearing was coming back, they suddenly, and the boats are still moving, still going forward, uh, they heard insects. And he said, it was just the most extraordinary thing, how, how insects, they would suddenly would be surrounded by insects. And he said, it wasn't just me, everybody in the boat, they started looking around like, where are all the bees and flies? And that was really, you know, all this. And um, he said, almost as one, they realized they weren't insects, they were bullets whizzing past and above them and actually striking the front of the landing craft. And uh, he said, we were all jammed in what the American army referred to as rocket to socket, which means they're just right up against each other and it's full. And he said, once that started setting into what people, people's understanding, they started pushing back. And he said there were about eight feet of gap between the men and the front door. And he said the, air, the, the people in the back were just, you know, they were really crushed, but everybody understood what it was. And when the front doors dropped, uh, he said something like 20 to 30% of his, uh, his people never made the beach. And in fact, many of them never made it out of the boat. So all that shelling had done virtually nothing. And apparently the, the American was very similar, very similar. Uh, the Americans had the added disadvantage of they had special uh, vests made for the D-Day landings. Uh, and I don't recall now the name of them, but they were uh, flotation devices. So if they were dropped into the water and they couldn't touch the ground, this would keep them afloat. And people had a choice of using the new ones or the old May Wests and some chose some, some chose the other. It was no, it was up to the individual. Um, unfortunately, the new vests had never been tested with, uh, uh, I don't know how, but without guns and ammunition. And so when the Americans were offloaded and they couldn't touch the ground, in fact, they went up and up. And those who couldn't get rid of the, uh, the excess weight drowned, never having hit the beach. So it was it was it was a great thing to make a movie about and i'm just really really glad i was never there yeah and that's i mean that's that's incredible that's i, I had no idea about any of that and i read about it yeah yeah but, uh you know the, the i read what was the stephen ambrose um yeah his book about it but i, I had no idea about that uh, uh this this kind of thing i mean the thing about the may west or the the, the vest that was very that was something, of course, the American Navy uh, and, and uh, the Rangers who were uh, dropped in, no one wanted to hear about that. No one wanted to hear about all the, in fact, off of Wexford uh, and other points around Britain, they were practicing for the D-Day landings with Americans. And the amount of Americans who were killed in accidents um, was quite extraordinary. I mean, you'd look at it now and think, how the heck could that have happened? Um, right but that's that yeah no that's and i believe it was um i read it was an irish person who designed those boats i think or designed something i've read somewhere maybe it was in that book the original landing craft i think so or something like that or something or someone uh, maybe he's irish american <laughs> I, I i don't i don't know i don't know as i say i'm not a technical guy i mean the boats we were using were real they weren't mock-ups. They were, I mean, most of them, not all, not every single one, but most of the landing craft, certainly the ones that we were on, they were survivors of the Second World War. They, they were, okay. whether they were using the D-Day landings, I, that I don't know, but they yeah. were original landing craft. 
Okay. Well, wow. That's, that's an you know, incredible story. And as I said, it looked very realistic, you know, just watching, even if you watch it on a laptop screen. So obviously that's not the best way to watch it. No, but you're right. I mean, it was, as I say, it's one of the best, in my opinion, one of, if not the best sequence ever shot of that kind of thing. Yeah. And it set it set the tone, the 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 visual, the actual filming. Um, they put it on, I think, a, a high crank for slow motion, and then excised a certain amount of uh, of, uh, of frames per second. Um, and that's why it's that sort of very grainy, almost jerky kind of action. It was something that was, and they repeated for Band of Brothers. Mm, uh, a lot of the battles series yes yeah 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 because i believe i saw the longest day as well and that's a good film as well but that kind of is a little bit more fantasy <laughs> yeah uh, i yeah. believe the, the the american soldiers in that movie were running off the boats you know you know immediately shooting to you know the, the germans and the you know the nazis mm -hmm. and which it wasn't really like that as you you just described what, what it was like um, yeah, yeah. It looked very realistic, and you know, we spoke about you know throwing up before. So, and because one we saw, we see the soldiers in Saving Private Ryan that they are throwing up as well, and it looked pretty real. <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> no, okay. they just put things in. They, they put stuff in the mouth, and 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 yeah, okay. nobody was really being sick, or if they were being really sick, there was nobody with a camera watching them. No. Okay, because I read that. Uh, believe it's on IMDb, so you never can trust completely. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, let me just say, let me just say that didn't happen where I was. Okay. Maybe it was elsewhere that did happen, but from my personal knowledge, no one was really being sick. That was all filmed. Okay. But that was all, you know, uh, set up. Yeah. Okay, that's good to know that you guys were looked after at least. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they 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 were very very good with us about that. Yeah. And uh, and did it you know did it again feel like the last question about this scene? Did it feel like uh, you know did you ever feel like oh I'm really going for war? I know that you were acting and that you said no. that uh, no you felt that. <laughs> no, it was it was um, it, you know when you're in something like that that's so complicated, and you know uh, up to five cameras were being used on each take. Uh, you don't want to be the guy screwing up, right? And so you're given a certain action to do, a certain place to get to, and uh, you need to accomplish that in the given time. And as there's no dialogue at that point, that's really all you're concerned about: not tripping, not falling, not screwing somebody else up, and making sure you you reach your physical goal. That that with something that that's complicated. So like a technical yeah. challenge, really? Very, yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, if you have dialogue, it's a whole different deal. Then they'll they'll do different takes. I mean, you'll you'll do the the big complicated take, and then they'll do, you know, just a couple of you, and you'll recreate what you did, that kind of thing. Okay. And did, yeah. did you did you have to do any training in particular? Did you have to go yes. to boot camp? <laughs> well, not not so much boot camp. But yeah, we were. I mean, the Americans apparently went for some weeks. And literally boot camp training. That's my understanding. For those of us who are based in England, no, no. We did do physical training, but nothing like apparently what those guys did. I had for other films done similar things, so I had a good idea what it was like, but not for that particular film. Okay. Um, okay, I promise you we, we will move on, but now this is more uh, <laughs> uh, another question because you've uh, you've worked with, I believe, uh, Tom Hanks on that movie, and I believe you worked on Hologram for a King as well. Uh, yes, I did. Yeah, 
commenting yeah. that, uh, and I believe I asked you this before, but I'll ask you this now recording. Is Tom Hanks as nice as he appears, or is, that, is, is it an act? Because surely someone can't be that nice. Well, actually, uh, you know, he, he, he had the reputation, quite the contrary, of Tom Cruise. And, and <laughs> well, he's the nicest guy in Hollywood. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, he absolutely is. I mean, he, both of them, both Toms are, are, are great. Anybody named uh, Tom? <laughs> uh, well, not anybody, but Tom Hanks or Tom Cruise, yes. Uh, unfortunately, with Tom Hanks, um, I've done two films with him now. Uh, or I've been in two films that he has starred in. Uh, and both of them... It, with with Private Ryan, one of the reasons I know so much about that first scene is uh, in order to make room in the film for that first scene, they had to cut 15, 20 minutes of scripted dialogue, of which I was in a great portion of that. Uh, and I was the lieutenant to Tom Hanks's captain, and I, he was the good guy and I was the bad guy. So I was the one berating all the men and calling them cowards and, you know, you chicken shit, this, that, and the other, and blah, 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 and screaming at them and, you know, just being a real jerk. And then come the D-Day landing, I was the one that was the coward, or my character was the one that was the coward. And the sort of the showing of that. And then I get injured and, and it's okay. Uh, so all that disappeared. None of that was filmed. Uh, it was a real shame. Yeah, I was not... Uh, I wasn't told about it for some weeks uh, on the film, but I figured when we left Ireland and we hadn't filmed a scene that was kind of integral to that section, I had a hunch something was up. Mm. That's what happened. When I did a hologram for the king, for a king, um, I was completely cut out of the film entirely. Really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, again, that's a shame. That's... <laughs> I know these, yeah, things, these things happen. Uh, yeah, actors, yeah. But it's... Uh... It's no, it's, uh, it's uh, again, it was a, it was a time thing. Uh, I auditioned for, uh, for the director, and uh, uh, it was in a scene that might be in or might not be in, and it was a scene I loved. I really got, I just sort of knew what I wanted to do with it. And so I walked in, and I, one of those things where just everything went right, and he said, yeah, great, this is fantastic. We, we love you. Uh, we're going to put you in the film. And... Uh, uh, Again, we never filmed it. We did sort of certain, it became a voiceover for a while. Um, and it was, they asked me to come in early and I couldn't, I was otherwise engaged somewhere else, so I couldn't come in. And, and the upshot of it at the end was I was completely taken out of the film. Were so- you in that film at all? No, no, oh, I, I'm, I'm what's called uh, uh, uncredited, which means I was in the film, I shot the film, uh, but uh, they they took it out for editing purposes. Do you know if there are any uh, deleted so, scenes that hmm? Do you know if there are any deleted scenes in the? I don't. Know. I have no idea. I have. Yeah, I, 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 I have no that. idea. Uh, nothing that I've ever seen or heard. But right. so the next time I hear that Tom Hanks is want, wants me in a film, I'm going to say no. My friends, but no, that's that'll yeah. Be nice to see you again, Mr. Hanks. But no, no, probably not. No, not uh, it, but it's funny you mention that because it does happen to I've read it and I've heard it happens to you know really big name actors because Christopher Lee came to Dublin nearly 10 years ago and he spoke about his time on Lord of the Rings and in 
this movie he made with Colin Farrell actually with the Spanish Civil War. And first of all, he said with Lord of the Rings in the third one, I believe. And he said that Peter Jackson just cut out him out completely from the, that they filmed a lot of him. And he said he's quite proud of it, that they showed the end of uh, Saruman and there were wonderful scenes, but that Peter Jackson just completely cut him out of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think he found out- And it's a time thing. It, it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 best, the best story I heard about that, with, I mean, it was a, a bittersweet story, but uh, again with Brian De Palma um, and uh, Bob Hoskins and Robert De Niro. Now, Bob Hoskins was cast by Brian De Palma to play uh, Al Capone in The Untouchables. And Hoskins was just over the moon about it. And he got a phone call a couple of weeks before filming, uh, principal filming was going to start. And it was from De Palma saying, listen, I'm really sorry, Bob. Uh, uh, um, uh, Robert De Niro said yes. And we have to go with Robert De Niro. It just, there's no, and he went, oh God, of course. Um, uh, in fact, it had gone to his agent. The agent called Hoskins and said, you know, you're, you're, you're going to get a phone call from Brian De Palma. And he, so he got really excited. And then when the phone call came, that, that was the information. So he said, you know, you, get, you hear something like that and you think, oh, bugger. But it was, you know, Robert De Niro. And of course, they're going to go with Robert De Niro. I mean, of course, you get that. And uh, about a month later, uh, I'm not sure the time, a couple of weeks, a month later, he was sitting at the breakfast table with his wife. And his wife said, oh, you've got a letter from America from a, I think it's Brian De Palma. And he opened it up and he said, listen, you were fantastic. A handwritten note from De Palma. Uh, you were fantastic. Uh, I'm really sorry it went this way, but uh, I know you understand, but this is just sort of a token of my esteem for you. Da, 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 da. And in the envelope uh, was a check for his entire fee on a personal check from Brian De Palma. Wow, that, that was very nice of him. <laughs> yeah. And, and as Hoskins said, I'll take that kind of rejection every day of the week. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that's not normal in uh... no. No. <laughs> no, 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 I've never heard of that before. I mean, unless you have a pay or play contract, but that, no, that right. is, that was, that was the Palma who really genuinely felt, you know, I say he's not a people person, but he certainly had a sense of fair play there. Uh, you know, Right, so he's decent, you know, he's very decent. Yeah. And I think part of it had to do with Hoskins being such a gentleman about understanding, you know, yeah, we'd love you to have the part. You were our first choice, but when Robert De Niro and De Niro was fantastic in it, you know, I mean, it was brilliant. So, but when Robert De Niro says yes to something, it's like I'm sorry, yeah. but yeah, everything else off the table. <laughs> Bye. It's been nice knowing you. We'll work again real soon, you know, but not this one. <laughs> and uh, well, no, that that's that's great to hear. Actually, you know, that you know that there is still decency with uh, some of these. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. I mean, you you meet people who are who are. I, I read a book by Kay Callan once, who's a wonderful actress, um, and she also wrote a series of books to sort of help actors, and she, she, especially young actors, how to how to break into the business, what to do, etc. And and she said that if you think that fame and fortune are going to make you happy, you're wrong. She said I know a lot of very unhappy, very famous, very wealthy actors, and that really stuck with me. That really stuck with me. I read that many, many years ago. I've since met, I mean, a woman named Salome Jens, who, if you look her up, if you heard her, she's, she's younger people won't know so much, but, but uh, if you look, you'll see her face, you go, oh God, her. Uh, I met her when she was 80 odd. 
and she was still working and the, one of the most, one of the nicest sort of, you know, generous people uh, uh, I'd met in this game. And um, uh, I, I remarked on just her attitude. She was understudying, but one of the other actresses in the play was going to have to leave for a week and she was going to step in for her. Which, I mean, I thought, a woman of her caliber, why, why do that? And she said, I love to work. And I've never, you know, this is a great opportunity to do it. I, I, I love the part. I love the play. Da, 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 da. Um, so she did it. And she just said, there's so many of my friends that when I'm coming up and they're, they're, they're bitter and they're what should have, could have been. And, you know, why didn't this happen? And, and she said, yeah, everybody has those stories. But if you focus on that, you're doing yourself an injustice and you're not going to be happy. Whereas if you focus on all the luck and all the great people you've met and that kind of thing, you tend to be a much more pleasant person. And again, that also stuck with me. So, yeah, there's a lot of really good, there's a lot of good folks in this business. It's a hard business. It, mm -hmm. it can be a very, a very hard and a very unfair business. But there are also lots of good people. Oh, that's, that's great to hear. It depends on our mentality as well. I mm -hmm. imagine, on, and how we approach things as well. I mm -hmm. imagine it's, uh, but no, that's, that is, you know, great, great to hear, even if they did cut you out of Hologram to King and the oh, you went to Saudi Arabia. You <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, those, those guys, man. No, they're all good people except them. Except those guys. But, and then you've also, I mean, you've, uh, the last movie I want to talk about was, as we mentioned before, that you, you worked on an Agatha Christie film, did you? That oh, God, uh, yeah, yeah. Where, yeah. I can't remember the name of the of the film. It was, I believe, it was set in Egypt because this was a something long time on, ago. Some, something on the Nile. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember was exactly. It, was it was it that on the Nile or was it something else? No, I think that's uh, one of the one of the books and the stories. That, I, I mean, I don't remember honestly. That was <laughs> that was a long time ago. So yeah, that was David Suchet's, <laughs> I think, second series of of uh, Poirot. Right. I mean, it was one of the earlier ones. You know, I think he did yeah. about eight or nine of them. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, that was about the time I'd always been playing really good guys and nice guys. I was, you know, young, very thin, you know, and, and every, so they really thought, oh, he's, he's the good guy. And that was one of the early bad guys I got to do <laughs> because I'm sort of, that was sort of my reputation. Oh, well, he's the good guy. When it turned out I was the bad guy, it was kind of a shock. And, and then that, that opened up a lot more for me. And that was a lot more fun for me. Cool. Yeah. So, so, and did, did you film in Egypt or? <laughs> no, we filmed in um, Spain. Oh, okay. I guess uh, that's... <laughs> there's there's a there's uh, an area in Spain where they did um, a number of the Clint Eastwood movies. Um, it's Almeria or somewhere. Yes. Uh, yeah, the south Andalusia, the south of Spain, was like a desert. Yes, and. Uh, it, it was incredibly hot. I remember that. Um, and I used to laugh and joke about all these actors going, oh, what's my umbrella? And I, give me some water and, you know, all that kind of shit. And, and but I got to tell you, that, um, that was a, that was a long 10 days or a week 10 days. That, that was hot, hot, hot. I, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, at least you were in this film, that this was your... <laughs> oh, it was good fun, yeah, yeah, good fun. And I, that was, that was uh, I'd worked with David uh, at the Royal Shakespeare Company. Well, that's where I first met him. Um, and then I got this part, uh, and uh, we, we had, oh, hello, hi, hi. He's, he's really interesting, because 
um, on the on the set, he remains in the padding, and and I mean he'll take off the outer coat, but he had a bathrobe on, and he would all walk around for the entire day, uh, uh, being Poirot. He wouldn't he would not break character, and uh, at first I thought that was kind of weird, but it's such an extreme. You know that is not who David is at all at all. So in order to keep him in that mindset, that's what he did. And so it was really weird coming, hey, David, how you doing? Oh, hello, how are you? And I was like, what? Oh, oh, okay, you're doing that. Okay, okay, I get you. With the accent. And that, and... <laughs> yeah, oh, everything. And he had the little mustache still on, everything, everything, uh, in that heat for the whole day. Uh, but but uh, day after day. But, uh, you know, after the shooting was over, I think he was, he, you know, how you done all that great that. And uh, uh, he was responsible for getting me a, a job later on. Someone wanted to do Oleana. They wanted to do a tour of Oleana. And uh, uh, David Mamet play, which David had done uh, in the West End for the premiere. And uh, the, the director called him up and said, I, you know, I'm thinking of doing this. I'd like to talk to you about your experience doing Oleana, meeting, working with Mamet, and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, he said, who are you getting to play it? And uh, she said, well, I've got a short list of people, da, 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 and Rolf Saxon. And he went, oh, Rolf Saxon. Oh, he's great. Use him. He's fantastic. And I got the job. Great. Thanks to him. So, yeah, I owe him a bottle of champagne. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was very cool. That was very cool. That, that's great. Well, I'm, I've watched all of the, the series, you know, with David Suchet and my family have as well. So it's, uh, yeah, 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 he's, yeah, he's, he's fantastic in the role. For me, I think yeah. he's probably the best Poirot. Uh, he, the reason they did so many is because the estate, the Agatha Christie estate has, or had, I don't know if they still do, but they certainly had uh, final approval. So that's why you had a lot of actors who played Poirot once, maybe twice, but that was it. They wouldn't allow, they said no. When Suchet did it, uh, his, his, his research is second to none and you know his what he his homework that he does in fact i learned quite a lot about that from him at the rsc it was just it's 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 amazing and uh the the word was that the only he was their favorite the estate's favorite actor who had ever done poirot and that's why he was able to do the eight ten series he was able to do or that that they did yeah i think he played in every book and short story from because he played up until the end the very yeah. final part of which is just yeah. incredible and he's yeah um yeah no he i mean he's, he's he was definitely for me and i've seen all the Poirot films and i you know Ken, you know kenneth Branagh and albert finney and peter Ustinov have played him they've all been you know good but i think david suchet for me is by far the best so. he got that quirkiness that yes. kind of weird that sort of weird, almost uh, very comedic but it was like except at the end of the day i mean he's made of steel I mean, you don't screw with him no absolutely and, and that that's that's the sort of yeah i it, it's it's uh it yeah i thought he was fantastic yeah i don't know that's great to hear now speaking of theater then because you're also a you know you're a theater actor you've been in a lot of roles uh, in theater. <laughs> uh, that's that's what I like doing most is theater. Okay, that's okay. That's yeah. one of my questions I was going to ask, but you've just answered that. So, <laughs> is, <laughs> is, is there any reason why that? Um, you know, we can go with this. Sure. <laughs> is there any reason? Yeah, why? I mean, I I love doing film and television uh, for a couple of reasons. One is you can be very subtle. Your camera's right there. You don't have to worry about projecting or anything like that. So there's a whole different there's 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 a different way of performing for for a camera. Um, you also get a lot more money 
uh, and uh, it's, good. it's always a good thing. Uh, um, and it's also, uh, um, if you make a mistake, you can fix it right then and there. You screw up some lines, if something goes wrong, you can just, oh, sorry, you know, whatever, cut, they, you know, take two or three, whatever it is. Um, with theater, however, you can rehearse and rehearse and rehearse what you need to do, and I love doing. Uh, uh, and it's not the show until you get the audience in front of you. And each night it's different, or each performance is different because the audience is different. So each show is slightly off, or, or mm. this, this works better this night, that works better this night. That live interaction with a group of people, for me, is, I think it's much more affecting. Theater is a much more proactive uh, uh, experience for an audience. Whereas watching film or television, it's a much more passive uh, uh, activity. And when you have, I mean, it's theater's merciless. If you screw up, <laughs> too bad. <laughs> You're on your own, sport. Bye. Good luck. Um, uh, but when you get when it goes right, uh, it's there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. Yeah. So that's I like doing theater more. No, oh, that's. Again, that's great. I mean, I had a very, very short stint at school doing plays. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> but I, I loved it as well. And I appeared in West Side Story, and I was the, the Puerto Rican, which... Um, which one? Uh, the, the leader. Who, the, oh, right, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And it was... Now, what, what happened in that... And, you know, as you mentioned, you're screwing... How's your Puerto like, Rican accent? Sorry? Well, How was your Puerto Rican accent? Well, my mother, my mother is Spanish, so I just put on it. Oh, that's right. Accent. You told me that. That's right. Well, of course. I, Perfect. I just put on what I thought was a Puerto Rican accent, but which I don't know might be a bit offensive right now. So I don't know if it's the correct one, but I just did that. So then the teachers just went, okay, we go with it. We go with that. That's just correct. Perfect. Perfect. But what happened to me, and we rehearsed, and we were, you know, we did what I thought was great. Okay, I was 12, so, you know, um, but we all were doing really well. But then on that night with everyone there, all the teachers, all our parents, all our families, and it was our big night. And the, the, the most famous scene, or probably the most intense scene with the two leaders, and they were, you know, when you, you arranged a fight. Yeah. Um, what happened was the extras, uh, one of them started to laugh uh, because I believe uh, one of the fake cigarettes broke and then all of the actors started to laugh and of course they weren't talking I was the one doing my lines and, uh, and then like and we were supposed to be really threatening and really intense you know like I'm <laughs> <laughs> through the laughter <laughs> so I started I'm going to <laughs> kill <laughs> and then the whole the audience kind of were laughing as well <laughs> <laughs> And I was devastated because, you know, like you're in the role. And, and again, like this, it wasn't professional at all. But um, no, we still went out. We still continued to see. Like, thankfully, I didn't break down and cry, which is what I wanted to do. Good <laughs> man, good man. And we just continued. But I thought that, oh, everyone's going to blame me. It's going to be a disaster. Thankfully, the teachers didn't see it that, that way. They, they blamed the other guy. <laughs> they, they said, why did you do that? But it, it still yeah. went ahead. It didn't ruin it. But um, yeah. So well, even something like that. I mean, that's, that's a perfect example. Has anything like that happened in your experience? Or oh, 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 yes, indeed. Oh, yes, indeed. 
in, in, in fact, my, my ex-wife told a story. Uh, she, was on, uh, she was in Dublin doing a show. Uh, and at the other large theater, uh, not the Abbey, it was the touring, it was the touring theater. Um, they were doing West Side Story. Oh, West Side Story again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, although this isn't happening to me directly, this is because you said West Side Story. Uh, West Side Story is one of those plays, like at the end, when it gets really serious, if the actor starts feel, like laughing, it, it makes it worse because you can't laugh here. You, know, you just can't, and, and that just—it's like laughing at a funeral. It just you exactly. Know, you're, dead. you're dead in the walk. I mean, you can't hit. So at the at the end, when when uh, when Tony uh, uh, his, uh, is 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 dying, and uh, the, the 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 two guys are dead, and there's people injured all over stage, and she starts seeing somewhere there's a place for us somewhere, and she breaks down and start, starts crying, and and everybody's you know it's like toward almost the very end of the play. And there's some fella in the audience who I think was enjoying his interval drink a little too much, <laughs> thought that she'd forgotten the lines to the song. So to help her out from the back of the stalls, he shouted, there's a place for us, somewhere a place for us. And she said, she was in the audience when it happened, and she said, Maria was okay because she's supposed to be crying. But the dead bodies on stage and all the tough guys who are just the dead bodies, the corpses are... <laughs> and, of course, the audience just goes ballistic. I mean, they just, they were hysterical. But that's, and so it sort of screws the play, and yet it doesn't. Everybody who was there that night will always talk about that story. Because it's enjoyable for the audience. Exactly. Well, it for exactly. <laughs> and, you know, as, as an actor, you think, oh, no, I want this to be really great. I, I don't want it to screw up. And, da, da, da. Mm. and the thing is, is, I mean, I've been on stage with someone, in fact, on occasion when it's been me, when you genuinely just lose it and you laugh. <laughs> the audience loves it. doesn't matter about the play. The audience loves it, as long as it's real. I've also been on stage with an actor on a couple of occasions, and I've seen it happen where they try and manufacture that. Mm. That is awful. Yeah, that's I just, can imagine. <laughs> yeah, that just doesn't work. Doesn't work at all. Yeah. But yeah, those are that's the, you know, if you're honest on stage, it, 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 it's even if it screws up, it's it's all good. It's all good. And I imagine the audience loved you guys doing that too. Oh yeah, no, I mean, I think they were laughing. They weren't. It didn't feel like they were making fun of me. It's just that thought. No. Probably they thought it was cute. You know, look at these kids pretending to be really serious and now they're laughing. <laughs> yeah, it's something's taking their fancy. Well, that's the old adage, you know, never do, never, never do, never uh, uh, work with children or animals. Yeah. It's because <laughs> everybody will look at them because they're being absolutely honest. Whatever they're feeling, it's all over their face. So uh, you know, or a dog just kind of, and that's what everybody, everybody looks to. So yeah. Uh, well, uh, Stage full of kids laughing is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, I've heard uh, stories as well from Owen Culford, a writer of Artemis Fowl, who's also from Wexford. Um, and he, uh, he was in a bookshop and he was talking and he, he was a teacher first. And I can't remember the exact story, but apparently he did the Christmas nativity play with the kids. Yeah. They all wanted to be, you know, uh, the, the main, like I think they all wanted to be the main shepherd, you know, with baby Jesus. So they all had to be saying, no, it's not here. And then I think one kid, the, the kid who had to put baby Jesus in the crib, I think he started throwing a tantrum. So they're trying to get him to go on stage, put baby Jesus there. But he just flung him from the outside. <laughs> 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 that 
curse it. Baby Jesus has died. <laughs> <laughs> Baby Jesus missed the call and he hit the floor. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think they just went with it because at that stage, we're like, yeah, we're not getting him back. So that's just. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and, and then you can add probably older people, you know, like going to plays because I went with my grandmother to a play once who I love very dearly. But um, went with her to a play. I don't know if it's an Agatha Christie play or some sort of thriller as well, murder mystery. And it was one of the most serious scenes. And the, one of the characters was there and the murderer was creeping up behind her or him. And it was very silent. And then my grandmother, she just shouted, he's behind you. <laughs> and I looked, I was like, no, you okay, we can't leave. We can't. <laughs> so, uh, oh bless her good for her man good for her but, she thought it was a pantomime yeah no it's, yeah. like she, she didn't mean to be obnoxious because she's not oh no 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 she's no, enjoying no. it so much <laughs> yeah she was involved absolutely behind you no no, no. <laughs> grandma no stop <laughs> that's great and uh but yeah so i thought that, that's great to hear that you you do enjoy uh working theater hopefully oh yeah after covid we can get back to going to the theater and working because it's yeah that'd be good now. It's, uh, <laughs> like, that'd be good yeah don't know about you but i could really do some of those vaccines right now <laughs> no kidding man no kidding we're healthy i mean think about the yeah. poor people who are not healthy yeah um, yeah, but are are you are you working at all during COVID that you can talk about? Is there any because the last time we spoke it was in July, and yeah. I believe it was not or not much happening. But no time it, has it, anything moved no. forward with no. No, I mean there's been some play readings and some. Uh, I did a play reading last night, which was a lot of fun. Uh, there's recorded things. I'm going to do something uh, this coming week, uh, re recording a. Uh, uh, you know, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. Do you know that story? Right. About, uh, there's heard a, little, of it. a little girl wrote into, I think, the New York Times and said, you know, is there a Santa Claus? And I don't remember his name, but a, but a journalist wrote back to her of what is now a very famous letter saying, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. And uh, this theater that I'm associated with uh, in, in California uh, does a Christmas Carol every year, or a Christmas show every year. It was going to be a Christmas Carol this year, uh, which of course has been cancelled. Um, and so they're going to do something online, and they're going to start it with a little teaser with this letter. It's about a five-minute piece. That's all. Uh, there's a narrator, someone who's uh, the, uh, a child is going to read Virginia. She was a, a, a seven-year-old child, I think, who wrote this letter. And then I'll be playing the guy who wrote the letter. Uh, just a little thing like that, but there's okay. stuff like that that goes on. But no, I've 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 lost a couple of really really nice parts that oh, this year that didn't happen this year. Yes, yeah, Salieri in uh, in Amadeus, which I've been wanting to do for many many years, and uh, uh, Henry the Second in Lion in Winter, which would have been fabulous. And you know, uh, you know, I I mean, there's still hopefully I got plenty to time to do stuff but at my age those parts don't come up mm. the way they used to so that would have been wonderful but you know what again i'm healthy i'm fit uh i'm still doing stuff i'm directing a play in london right now uh, at a drama oh, school nice. so that's that's cool uh, uh but it just yeah it's nowhere near what it used to be mm. but it yeah. isn't for anybody so that's you know. that's true especially yeah. in the arts um, yeah, yeah, yeah. especially the arts, man. It's it's terrible. It's yeah. yeah, that it's just because we need people to be together indoors. Yeah, in, yeah, you know, yeah. For music, for for yeah. for theater, and concerts, uh, and yeah, 
absolutely comedy yeah yeah stand-up comedies that's comedians are they say actors are pretty highly strung comedians can be as well and not to be able to do anything on stage is is that's got to be tough that's got to be tough yeah because i know there have been some theater productions uh, I know that I saw that Andrew Lincoln is appearing on A Christmas Carol uh, that's going to mm-hmm. be online, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know if maybe that's, you know, while we're in COVID, that if theater productions can, uh, can, can do that? Or well, it's, it's, well, it's difficult. Uh, no, 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 it, it is. I mean, there, 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 are asp- there are things you can do. A, a theater company that I know just did art. Uh, um, which is three, it's a three-hander, three, three, three actors in it. And they stand, they were, they were socially distanced during the filming of it. They rehearsed online. Uh, some films are now being made and some big theater productions are being contemplated where they put the theater or they put the cast and the crew in a bubble, mm. put them in a hotel. And then for the duration of the filming, no one can come in. They can't see their friends, their family. They just stay as a unit. And if there's a lot of money involved, uh, you can make that work. Um, Broadway shut down. They're not doing it. There's a lot of money on Broadway. Uh, For theater, it's not really as easy. Mm. It it can be done, but the end result is usually a filmed play, which is not often successful. It's, if that's all you got, you're gonna watch it. You're gonna, you know, take a look at it and, you know, support the local theater and all that. But after 10 months, it you know and the fourth play you're seeing like that it's like you know i'm gonna send him my money but man i think i'll pass i mean i'm saying it i'm saying it now <laughs> you know like oh great uh yeah and you watch it for an, a half an hour or so and you just go God, you know what i i think i need to go read a book or something i shouldn't yeah. say that i shouldn't say that, but it, it's it's tough oh, i think to i get you yeah, yeah, to, yeah. To because i think the theater the plays are probably better when you're right there yeah um yeah. i think because i've gone to the cinema to watch plays as well and musicals there mm-hmm. and it's been great but i just kind of wish i was there <laughs> yeah absolutely that's that's what theater is for it's you know as i say it's a very proactive yeah. uh, experience for an audience whereas watching it on screen it's it's a, it's better than nothing sure and, and it's great to see a production that you never would have like you never would have been able to see but to see it like that repeatedly over month after month after month i mean i've seen a dozen production more on online now and it's you know, there's some wonderful performances and there's some really clever techniques and and uh, there's another company that I that I that I work with that they're doing a whole hybrid they're doing readings as if they're radio plays and that's fascinating because they have a green screen where they put all kind of impressionistic uh, suggestive uh, um, uh, filming up at the back and that works really well it's almost like it's its own genre but it's still heart I want theater back bring theater back yeah no i mean me that's what I, go yeah. to it again I really, yeah, yeah 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 um no that's great and then finally because i know it, i told you it'd be 20 minutes that didn't happen uh, <laughs> uh, where are we now? Uh, no no it certainly didn't no, <laughs> no. people tell me i t- tend to talk a lot as well um, well i'm serious, dude so we're all we're all good but the f- final thing then before before we go in is do you have any particular advice to anybody listening or watching uh, who might want to become an actor, apart from maybe don't become one, I've heard people say. But uh, is there anything at all that, uh, that you might, you know, if anybody wants to become an actor, you know, where can they start? What should they drama school. start doing? Go to drama school. That's- I mean, go to, go to your local uh, community theater, uh, um, amateur dramatic 
work, do that, do that, start that up. Um, if you're in school and you take drama classes and you really like it, then start looking at a drama school. Start looking for a drama school. Um, you have to be very honest with yourself. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, early days, no, no, man. Just just try, do, do the best you can and enjoy it. Have a good time. And don't go in it because you want to be rich and famous. That's probably the best well, advice, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just go in it because you love doing that. That's something about creating something out of words that you really like. Then, then absolutely, absolutely. If you just want to get celebrity, in, which so much of it is now these days, mm -hmm. uh, you, you, that's a whole other deal, and it's not to do with me. Sure. Okay, well, I think I've kept you here long enough. I've kept you uh, and man, it's, it's always a pleasure talking to you, Sorsha. It, it is. This is. This is. Uh, this is. Uh, this has been great. I like yeah, it. I've, I've uh, conned you once again to speak to me. I might, I might have to start another podcast to <laughs> get you again. <laughs> but uh, but then hopefully, if uh, once COVID is over, if you're ever in Ireland or if I go to London, I'm gonna take you up on that beer. So that was my conversation with Rolf Saxon. I hope you all enjoyed it. And a huge, huge thank you to Rolf for joining me. Uh, it's great to speak to him again. And I hope to speak to him again soon. Now, if you enjoyed that episode, enjoyed that conversation, you can help in a number of ways, all of which are free. You can uh, rate and review this podcast if you so wish. Uh, the best place might be at ratethispodcast.com forward slash Shorsha Speaks With and the link is in the show notes and you can find the different places where you can rate and review this podcast. Um, you can also share this episode and this podcast with people who you think may like and enjoy this uh, podcast and this episode and any help at all is hugely, hugely appreciated. If you do want to become a guest on this podcast, if you want to speak to me about anything you're working on, about any book or anything you're writing or anything at all, you can feel free to contact me at shorshaspeakswith.com forward slash be my guest. Again, the link is in the show notes. And uh, so next week, I will be joined by indie author Steve Ince as he spoke to me about his two books, Blood and Moon and the Quinton Quad. So until then, take care, everyone. Goodbye.